Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Pastor May J. Gilbert Sr. coming to you from On The Wall Ministries here from Alta Vista, Virginia. We thank God for you joining us on this Friday evening on our Bible Institute uh, for our study on possessions, uh, the gospel, possessions, and prosperity. We thank God for you joining us. We've been out for two weeks. We had uh, a sabbatical on our birthday weekend and enjoyed that weekend, but ended up catching a old virus cold, but we thank God we was off last week uh, on Friday and Sunday, but we thank God we're back here feeling a little bit better, but God is still in the blessing business. We thank God for your prayers and, and your continued support of us in our ministry here. So uh, we're getting into our study. Uh, we are getting into our study. I uploaded it on Facebook. You can download our study plan, uh, the gospel, possessions, and prosperity, and we gave you a little outline on our uh, Facebook page there in our announcement. So we're getting into possessions in the Old Testament, uh, people of God. We're going to start in that study tonight, starting on page 21 in your study plan. Um, uh, and we're going to get into tonight and we're going to look at how the Old Testament relates to possessions and prosperity and the gospel. We're going to not get too much in talking about prosperity. We're going to talk about the gospel. What does the Bible say? about the Word of God, then we're going to study the Word of God, and then it's going to explain exactly how we look at prosperity and possessions in, in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we start looking at the Old Testament, uh, Jesus then, he was uh, going up to uh, uh, the New Testament as a process. Well, we're going to talk about the plan and the process of how we uh, look at these scriptures and try to get uh, a better understanding of those possessions and prosperity and the gospel in studying. So the reality is that we're going to dive into this study and uh, we're going to get into it and we're going to look at uh, uh, reminding when interpreting the Old Testament. we got to remind ourselves certain rules that when we are studying the Old Testament. So we're going to be careful to remember that some things about interpreting the Old Testament uh, are, are very important, but I want us to walk through these really quick. And there are actually, as we look at it, we talked about it. If you are going to look at uh, certain things in the Old Testament, we got to look at them in the proper context. So interpreting the Old Testament narratives on a whole, the Old Testament narratives uh, are not uh, uh, allegories filled with special meanings. And they are not that, uh, like Abraham getting his wife, uh, Isaac, and not about getting Christ as a bride by the Holy Spirit. So you can't look at how Isaac got his wife and try to relate to how Christ is relating to the early church. So we can't do that. So they are not intending primarily to teach us any moral lessons when we look at a lot of the Old Testament. We learn things from them, but the person is not to be able to look at that as a moral example. Uh, we were talking about it this week, uh, looking at Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A lot of things that they gave us about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they weren't trying to teach us moral principles. We were talking about it this morning when uh, uh, Abraham uh, wanted to have a son and his wife Sarah was barren and he, he gave him her handmaid. God is not wanting us to use that as a moral compass to be able to, uh, uh, to accomplish the plans that he has for our life. So interpreting the Old Testament scripture has to have a certain context so we can learn things from 
them, but we can't not use them as a moral context unless the scripture is explicitly saying that we need to really be careful, intended primarily to teach us doctrine, and they illustrate doctrine, but they don't teach us systematically about certain things. So on the whole, the Old Testament narratives are stories for specific reasons and for specific purposes is trying to teach us real true history of God's people hold for a reason. And there are accounts that uh, what is accounted or what is happening, but we should have understood that. It's not what should have happened. Things that are happening in the Old Testament are not trying to tell us things that should have happened. They're telling us how the people disobeyed God. So they're not telling us to disobey God, but he's telling us that what has happened and what ought to happen is us to walk in, in obedience. So it includes a lot of stuff where uh, imperfections about our biblical characters. We, we know that all of us got imperfections and they are selective and incomplete. They don't include every detail. They are written for a reason so that we can understand it. So when we're reading the Old Testament narratives, identify the theological principle that they are trying to uh, help us to understand. Then you got to be able to filter through some of the theological principles uh, through the New Testament. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you're looking at Old Testament narratives, be able to read that but filter it through the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, did the New Testament change or affect or move that principle? Does the New Testament add to the principle? Does the New Testament modify the principle? Or, or do we think about looking at the Old Testament through the New Testament lens? When we look at things in the Old Testament, you have to look at it through the lens of the New Testament. And then, so we're reading the Old Testament narratives, and then we're comparing it to the New Testament so to see what was uh, uh, moved over into the New Testament and what was left out. But we got to understand what it means to have a New Testament and an Old Testament. Testament word means what? Covenant. So we are making a covenant with God, and the covenant that God made with Israel, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a lot of those things that were left out because of the fact they weren't things that were carried over into the New Covenant, the New Testament. So we got to be very careful about that. So when we're interpreting Old Testament law, you got to be able to understand that some of those laws were written for that specific time, not the day and time today. So look at some of the scriptures. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald and he is clean. So I, I know I'm bald, and that don't mean that I'm spiritually clean or, or any way. So you got to realize that when you're reading those Old Testament verses, that you have to look at it in the proper perspective. Uh, and then we look at uh, Scripture says that a woman should, wear, should not wear a man's garment, and he should not put on a woman's cloak or whatever does things. It is abomination unto the Lord. You know, we got so much cross-dressing that is going on today, but you got to realize, I don't think that he was talking about cross-dressing. He was talking about responsibilities and character. Don't put on what God has not put in you. So many of these laws, all of us violate laws. We violate these laws because of the fact that those laws not carried over into the new covenant. What about eating pork? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says here that a pig, because of his parts of his hooks, did not chew on the cub. It is unclean to you. So if we uh, look at that, that all of us have sinned, all of us have come short. If you have a tattoo on that you don't, you violate the law. A lot of the things that you disobey the law, 
it doesn't matter. It doesn't come into the new covenant. It hasn't moved over. What, what we should really think about, the laws that we should obey, is not to murder, not to kill, not to steal, those things that we know that are morally right. So how do you know when to wonder or when to violate or when you haven't violated or when to obey Old Testament laws? When do you know how to do that? Remember, the Old Testament law is not our New Testament law. I know a lot of people are going to get upset about that, but the Old Testament law is not our New Testament law. A testament is a word, like I told you earlier, for what? Covenant. We have a covenant with God, and God made the covenant with Israel, but we got a new covenant through Jesus Christ. So those old ritual laws and those old laws, a lot of them don't apply to this new covenant. So the testament, again, is a new, is a covenant. The Old Testament represents God's covenant that he had with his Israel people, but now we're under the new covenant that's through grace, through Jesus Christ. Unless the old covenant law, the Old Testament law is somehow related or reinforces the New Testament law, it is no longer directly binding on us as a people. Laws that are not reinforced in the New Testament, uh, Israeli or uh, Israelite civil laws, those laws were not brought into the New Covenant. And what about uh, 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 Israelite ritual laws? Those ritual laws for worship, they weren't brought into the New Testament. Laws that are reinforced, laws that are renewed and restated in the New Testament, those are the things that we should be concerned about. They came to Jesus. What are the greatest laws? What are the two? He said, love the Lord with all thine heart and all thy soul and all thy might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. If you do these two great laws, you cover all of the rest. So there are certain laws that are in the old covenant that we do not bring into the new covenant relationship that we have with, uh, with Christ. Realize that all of the Old Testament law is still the word of God, for even though it is not still a command of God. Let's read that again. Old Testament law, all of it is still the word of God, but the thing about it is not a commandment of God to us today. Uh, just because it's not for us, that, that we are not under it does not mean that it is not valuable to us. Just because those laws in the Old Testament doesn't uh, uh, relate to us under the New Covenant, they are important for us to learn and to learn from them. So less than 2% of, of, of that Old Testament law is related to the Messiah, applying to Jesus. Less than 5% applies to the New Covenant age that we're in. So we got a lot of things that are in the Old Testament just cannot be carried over under the new covenant law unless it is reinforced or reiterated in the New Testament. Old Testament prophets were God's direct what representatives, and they spoke in oracles, and they spoke in those oracles. There are main three points of the oracle that you have broken the covenant, and you need to repent, and then uh, God will restore you if you repent. Those are the things that we have to understand. Uh, they said that those three main points, you've broken the covenant, you need to repent. Things like idolatry, social injustice, and religious ritualism, they've broken the covenant of God, so you need to repent. And then he tells you if you don't repent, you got to deal with the judgment of God. So you have hope beyond judgment in future uh, restoration because of what Christ did on Calvary. 
Interpreting the Old Testament wisdom literature sometimes is just as hard. Old Testament wisdom literature is difficult to follow in that line of thinking sometimes. Like Job, he reads Job and difficult to understand those literary styles that they have in the book. And a lot of times we abuse text when we try to apply those literary texts to our uh, moral life that we're in today. So we got to understand that there's a certain style that was written in the Old Testament wisdom literature and when it was written. Difficult to determine meanings. Remember, the goal of wisdom literature is to how to apply the word to our practical living. So wisdom is applying God's word uh, to the wise choices that we make in life and realize that the wisdom books contain insights and guidelines of developing a godly character. So if we read those wisdom books and get out the godly character, that's how they relate to our lives. And they are not a collection of universal promises. We got to realize that. Now look at Proverbs 22 and 11. Uh, he who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious, we have the king as a friend. Is that a promise? That's because you have certain uh, purity of heart and your speech is gracious. That don't mean that you're going to have a king as a friend. So you can't take everything as a promise. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all officials will be wicked. See, that's a word, but it doesn't mean holistically that everybody is wicked. The guidelines are insights, but they are not to be taken literally universal promises. They're a way that the written in poetry is illustrates. Interpreting Old Testament poetry. Old Testament is emotional, and we don't read poetry like uh, we read Paul's letters. Poetry is different, ain't it? It's uh, metaphorical, using all kinds of images in poetry. Old Testament poetry is what? It's verbal, and we see all kinds of psalms and Song of Solomon and Lamentations and, and, and all uh, Proverbs and all other prophetic books. We read that. So interpreting as we interpret the Old Testament, there is one key that we have to understand. When you look at specific context, especially the context of the Old Testament, then historical context, maybe even the geographical context when we're studying, we got to see everything in the Old Testament in a certain context for a specific word that they are trying to understand. Then we got to understand the, uh, the eternal context. Everything that God gives us has some eternal ramifications when you study it and use it. So you're looking for what is in there, that eternal truth that we try to glean out of it. So it applies to all people at all times. So, and how does that come over in the New Testament? We got to understand that when the New Testament authors and speakers quote and affirm Old Testament teachings, and they need to pay close attention when something is being reiterated in the New Testament, pay close attention to it. Because when they don't mention Old Testament teachers and give cautions consideration, because it's important that the New Covenant, then it's being communicated in the New Covenant. So if that is an Old Testament covenant that is important under the New Covenant, they will be reiterated or re, uh, uh, re restudied. See, one thing about it, we have to understand that that, that when we don't mention certain things and teachings that are in the New Testament that were in the Old Testament, we got to be cautious to understand that. It, it's not, uh, uh, what about 
uh, possessions, what it means of our understanding of possessions is not based on the prayer of Jabez. Think about it. He's going to broaden your borders. He's going to bless you over here. You're going to bless you over there. All of that is good. But the thing about it, understanding that possessions is not based on that. It is our basis of understanding possessions. That's not based on that prayer. Our understanding of possessions is based on the prayer of Jesus, not the prayer of Jabez. And that is the good basis of our understanding of possession. He says, Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, he says, but not my will, but your will. So our possessions are the will of God. It has nothing to do with us doing something special. It, it don't sell books to be able to think that we can be able to get things because of what uh, we say or what we do. God blesses us freely. It's his will to bless us. And then we got to understand creation itself is a blessing. Genesis 1 and 26 and 31. Creation is a full reflection of God's goodness. And God is not called good in Genesis 1, but all things that he created is called good. And they are a reflection of his goodness. And that's what God does. Material things are what? Created good. And man was what? Created good. In Genesis 1 and 31, man was what? Not only good, but he was what? Very good. Man was created very good. And creation is a reflection of his goodness. And creation is what? Submission to God's sovereignty and his authority. God has authority over everything. If we get into possessions, it's because God has the authority to give that. If we have any blessings and promises in our life, it's because God he took care of those promises and continued to bless us in spite of who we are. So man owns nothing. God owns everything without any exception. Everything belongs to God. Everything. So we don't own anything, not even our own life. So now God entrusts us. Isn't that good news? Man has reigned under God over the material things of the world. And that's in Psalm 8. He said, you haven't given man your dominion the works over your hands. However, it still belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. So man doesn't own anything. He reigns over the God, the material world that he's given us. But he has the responsibility before God for the material things of the world. We got to be good care keepers. God has put us in the garden. He said us to what? To keep it. So our responsibility is to keep the things that God has blessed us with. So when you think about possessions, you have to understand that God gives us possessions so that we can be accountable and to be able to be a blessing to somebody else. He go back into Genesis. He says to multiply and to replenish. So our responsibility is to multiply and do the things that God gives us. Keep it. He owns everything. He trusts us with those things. And nothing belongs to us, not even our own life. And that's what Genesis 1 is trying to teach us. Everything in creation belongs to God. Creation are reflections of God's goodness, submission to God of authority. All of that belongs to God. Creation is a recipient of God's generosity. We are recipient of God's generosity. From the beginning, we see God giving. God gives and, and has image to us as a people, and he gives good things to us 
as a people to enjoy. And this is the beautiful of Genesis 1 and 2. It's God, man, and woman, creation, all in harmony because of the goodness of God. So we possess things because of God's goodness. So not because of anything of our own, because of what God has done to us. Then the fall came. Man and woman were enjoying creation and everything was good in Genesis 3 where man questions God's goodness. See, as the fall of man, he spurns God's authority. When you start casting God's authority on your feet, things will not go well. And man rejects God's generosity and he enters into a world of sin. God's image is marred in man. Good things are misused by man. And that's the key. It is not that the apple or the fruit was bad but in itself, but it's not that those sinful desires that is inside of us that causes us to sin, questioning God's goodness and spurring his authority. And what happens is good things that God has are misused by sinful man. And that's what possessions do to us. And now man's need God's redemption. Man needs God's grace to be reconciled to God. And man needs God's grace to properly to relate to the things that we have. Without God in your life, your stuff becomes your God. Stuff overwhelms you. Stuff becomes so much of your attention that you cannot get your attention on the things of God. And you are seeing how Genesis 3 affects our understanding of things and possessions and stuff. It is sinful for the use of stuff. It, it's, it's the sinful use of stuff that we see in Genesis. And we need grace to know how to properly relate to stuff and things that I have in our life. Well, possessions will wear you out if you don't have the proper relationship with God. And without the understanding of God and the possessions and the promises that he's given us, we will wear ourselves out. So a redeemer who will come and take Satan down, creation and the fall, because of the grace that God has given us, and he wants us to have every blessing that he has given unto us. And then talk about the patriots. The sets the stage for the patriots. So now uh, we, we, we've got a world where people don't know how to relate to things. And in patriots, God blesses his people in Genesis 12 and, and to accomplish his purpose. Now you see the context here. God in Genesis 12 is forming a people. And this is the one purpose that God has given us to be able to accomplish his person through the man that he created. And I'm going to bless you, he told Abraham. And what is he going to do? He is forming a people here in Genesis 15. And look at the sky. See all of the stars and, and look at the sands of the sea. He says that you'll outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. See, so God is blessing what? Prosperity upon Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to form you as a people and I'm going to bless you with land and possessions. And I'm going to give you all of the possessions. And Abraham is beginning to acquire all of these possessions. Sheep and oxen and servants and female servants. And given to Abraham a people with a land with possessions for a purpose. But the question is, what is the purpose? 
Why did God do what he did? For the very beginning in Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to bless you and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So I'm going to give you all of the things for a purpose that you might be a blessing to the ends of the earth. So that's what God is doing. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. Our possessions are to be a blessing to somebody else. He doesn't give us a blessing possessions to waste on ourselves, then look at all of these. God uses wealth and prosperity to accomplish his purpose. Look at all of these verses. They talk about God's riches that he gave to the patriarchs in Genesis 26. Isaac had in Genesis 30, then Genesis 47, even to the end of the book, when Israel settled in the land of Egypt, they gained possessions and they were fruitful and they multiplied even in slavery. However, notice, material blessings are not intended to be an end to themselves. And God is doing something here. He is forming a people and with possessions in a land for, for a purpose. And this is what leads us to the truth, to see that in these last part of Genesis here, that there's really, yes, God uses wealth. He uses prosperity to accomplish his purpose. But God also uses famine. He uses pain, he uses suffering, he uses everything for his purpose. Joseph was sold into slavery for his purpose, ain't it? Used famine and pain to accomplish whatever he needed. And that's what God does. He sentenced unjustly. He suffered for years, Joseph. Then he was brought to Potiphar's house. He was lied on, locked up in jail again. So this is the picture. Genesis 50 and 19 and 20. Sums up it up. Even in the middle of pain and evil, God is accomplishing his purpose for our life. So God is accomplishing purpose through wealth and prosperity and through famine and pain and suffering and everything. It is all being used to accomplish the purpose that God has for our life. Then the Exodus we're looking at tonight, it leads us to the Exodus and God is what? delivering his people out of slavery. God is faithful to save his people. He hears the cry of the people in their suffering. And when they are suffering, when they are materially suffering, when they are physically suffering, he hears them and he delivers them from slavery and he brings them out of Egypt. God is what? Faithful to save his people. He's faithful to save. He's faithful to bless them. Now this is where we want to think about the purpose of the possessions that we have, the role of possessions in the Exodus. And this is the wealth that is intended by God to be used for his worship. Think about it. God blesses us to give him glory. God blesses us so that we can give glory to everybody, not to give glory to ourselves. God made clear over and over again, he said that you go and tell Pharaoh to deliver you out of there so that you can worship me. And listen to what he says in Exodus 10. He said, Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve your Lord and your little ones that they may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let have a sacrifices and a burnt offering that we may sacrifice unto the Lord. Our God, our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. And for we must take 
them to serve the Lord our God and that we do not know for what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. He said that we need our possessions to give God glory. So in other words, they needed possessions to worship God. Wealth is intended for worship. So when God brings them out of Egypt and they take them possessions with them, possessions, why? So that they can make their sacrifices. They plundered Egypt and they took them and they took all of their stuff and they ended up with possessions so that they could give God worship. Next, wealth was twisted by man to use for idolatry. Think about it. When God gives them possessions and, and they leave Egypt and they end up building the tabernacle and they, they ended up Moses go up into the mountain to pray and they came back, they used the same possessions that they used to give God glory to build a golden path. See, man's mind will take possessions and use and misuse them to glorify uh, idolatry rather than glorify God. God is faithful to provide and God gives his people exactly what they need and they wandered towards the promised land Exodus 16 and, and what does God provide he provided them manna from heaven and instead of them enjoying the manna from heaven God gave them possession of food from heaven and they said we like the onions that were back in in Egypt, they would rather go back into slavery and then enjoy what God has blessed them with. And that's how we get sometimes, we get it twisted. God is faithful that he provides us. He gives his people exactly what they need. But as they were wandering, they were going around and they did not. And he gave them a specific rule. Whatever you eat, eat it. Don't try to store. Don't try to take it up. If you do it a rot, they didn't believe God. They tried it anyway in the the food or the manna rotted anyway. So you got to be obedient to God. See, they try to keep it all over till the next day. So what happened? It's rotten. So God gives them a specific reason for a different, a, a specific purpose. So he forbade his people to destroy excess in their need. Listen to me. God commanded them not to store up anything that was in excess of what they needed. See, don't store stuff up. Trust God every day. He'll provide what you need, and the material things that you need, God will provide. He forbids us as a people to, to, to store up excess stuff so that prevents us from being loving and sharing to one another. He wants us to be not only dependent upon him, he wants us to be caring and loving to our fellow man. Let us use what God has given us so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. And let us give him honor by blessing somebody else. He wants them to be dependent upon him every day. Remember that. God wants us to be dependent upon him for our possession, not to take it into our own hands and use it to glorify ourselves rather than glorify him. But that's what God wants us to do. God blesses us each and every day with these possessions, so that we can become a blessing to someone else. We thank God for joining us. We're going to get into the law on our next study period. That's a longer study. But we thank God for giving us this night. <clears throat> we still a little stopped up, a little congested, but we made it through our half hour study tonight. But we thank God for joining us. Our possessions are for us to be a blessing to someone else. 
God gave us possessions to give him glory. Once we glorify God, God will multiply things. Wonder why you go to Haggai and, and, and they said you give you money and you have the holes in them. God will allow you to waste everything you did when you try to make your possessions your God. God will take everything you have if you try to glorify them rather than glorify him. Give God the glory. All of your possessions are for your good. All your bless blessings are to be able to be a blessing to somebody else. God is not ashamed of blessing us. He's not ashamed of us being prosperous. He, he's not uh, want us to be poor. He wants us to be blessed. But when we are blessed, we got to have the right mentality. We got to be able to put things in the proper perspective. God blesses us so that we can honor him. Give him glory. Give him glory for everything that he has done. So our possessions are not to give us the prosperity of the world, but is able to be able to share with somebody else. What I have, you have. What you have, I should have. We should be a blessing in the body of Christ one for another. That's what the word of God teaches us. That's what prosperity does. And that's what he wants us to do with our possessions. Not to hold on, not to, not to try to collect and build up. He said, no gathering. Let's not be gathering stuff to try to accomplish, but let us do what is necessary to give God honor. God bless you tonight. <coughs> we thank God for you sharing with us on this evening. Beautiful lesson. We need to come back next week and look at the law, the gospel, possessions, and prosperity, how the law relates to it. We talked about it a little bit, but we're going to cover that in our next study. So we thank God for joining us. We thank God for you allowing us to have this little moment on this Friday evening. We're hoping to do some things different. We're trying to open up our worship center here again. My wife has her uh, a thrift store in our worship area. But we hopefully will be able to open it back up. We have another church who want to come in and to have a small service here. So we're trying to accommodate them. So hopefully we're going to do some things in a couple of days, next couple of weeks, to be able to accelerate the kingdom of God. We want to be able to allow other ministers and other ministries to come in here to use this little facility to be able to advance the kingdom of God. That's what God wants us to do. Don't allow this possession to be my God. Don't let this place, anything that can become your God, if you take that possession and try to use it, to glorify yourself or to glorify it rather than to glorify God. God bless you. Let us pray. Father God, <clears throat> we thank you today. We thank you for this opportunity to come and, and we pray, Lord, that you would just be that fence around us. Build us up on every week and lean inside. Help us, O oh, Heavenly Father, to grow spiritually, physically, in every way that we might do that which you desire us to do. Lord, we love you, Lord. We Give your name, honor, praise, and glory for all that you have done. We pray for the sick, the suffering, and the bereaved. Pray for the Miller family. We pray for them that they've lost another loved one. Lord, we ask that as they eulogize them tomorrow, that you would be with that family. Put your loving arms around them. Help them to know that you are God. Beside thee, there is none other. We thank you so much for your time, and we pray that you would continue to support us and be with us. This is our time that we want to just thank you so much for all that you have done and, and our support in our ministry here and in our business out to Vista Church Supply. Come by to share with us here in our businesses 
and help us to be able to prosper in every way. God bless you. May heaven ever smile upon you.